Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of One Left with Adam Robinson and J.J. Keller. I hope everybody is having a great week. And just to let you know that we've had a really good response to our first episode, and we want to continue the conversation of the spirit of One Left. If you haven't checked that out, we definitely encourage you to search for One Left on iTunes for that podcast. We're also on SoundCloud. So you can search that as well. We might have some plans in the future to make it a little bit easier for you to find these podcasts in one area by introducing a website. Some other ideas that we've come up with that we've kind of talked about in the background, JJ and I think that this is going to be a much more robust podcast and reach our goals of helping kind of heal the divisions in the Democratic Party and create a one left by bringing on some other voices besides us. And if you don't remember from the first episode, JJ and I are both Democrats, and I'm more of a a centrist, and uh, JJ was a a little bit far to the left, but we both believe that at the end of the day, if Democrats don't win, then we can't make policy changes or get anything that we want that is progressive. So we are excited to have our second episode here, and today uh, we're going to talk about, and probably in future episodes, some more current events after we've set the baseline in episode one of what One Left is all about. So we thought, why not attack the division right in uh, between the eyes? And the big news of this week is really Hillary Clinton's book tour. Some people are calling it a blame tour, and some folks are, are looking at, at her with great regard and are excited about her book tour, but we want to address kind of what that might mean for the One Left mission and our thoughts on what where we go next as it relates to the Democratic Party. So I want to give JJ the opportunity here, and what are your general thoughts on Hillary Clinton's book and then maybe her book tour? And maybe those two ideas and thoughts are different. Yeah, I think, I mean, the I don't have any issues with her wanting to write this book and, and to explain, you know, what happened, as it's called. Um, you know, and, and there's certainly things she said that I think are, are valid. You know, the, the Russia stuff is valid. Comey's letter is valid. I think that's probably what put it over the edge. Um, you know, the, the fake news and just the, the slander that she's gone through for, what, 20 years? You know, this is a, a kind of a long-term thing for Republicans that have been really going after Hillary for a long time. Um, you know, Benghazi was was a few years ago, and then the email thing was blown up more than it probably should have been. Um, and sexism, I'm sure, was was a cause as well. And she talks about that. So I don't have any issues with with those things. Um, what I do maybe have issues with is the, a little bit of a lack of of taking responsibility. And that doesn't mean she has to say that it's all her fault because it wasn't. But from what I've seen, I know she talks about it in the book, and I haven't read the book. I should say that. Um, so most of my opinions here are from interviews I've I've heard of her, um, kind of on her book tour. And she, you know, she mentions, you know, things she did wrong at times, but there's also a lot of attacks on, on Bernie. And, you know, obviously I'm biased here as, as a Bernie supporter, but I think the way she's saying some of it, it comes off as, as like she was entitled to the nomination and that right. Bernie should have never criticized her. And that, but that's what a campaign is. That is you know, what and, it is. And, you know, I, I honestly think he could have been a lot worse on her than he was. You know, he had that, he, he spent time in a debate essentially defending her, her emails, right? He said, I don't want to hear about your damn emails. He wanted to talk about the issues. 
Um, and, you know, she said on, on a, uh, she was on a podcast called, um, what is it? Pod, Pod Save America. Yeah. Pod Save America. She was on that. Um, and the episode before that, the people who were going to interview her said that the, the kind of excerpts from the book that had come out were not really indicative. They were just kind of, you know, hand selected where she was blaming everyone but herself. And so I was, you know, at that point I was like, okay, it's not her fault that these things leaked ahead of time and out of context. But then she gets on that podcast and spends an awful lot of time going after Bernie and saying that, you know, he attacked her and that um, he ne- he didn't give her the uh, the endorsement and support that she gave Obama. And in some ways that's probably true. You know, I don't think he really wanted her to be president. I think he had a lot of disagreements with her. But he did endorse her. He did tell people how dangerous Trump would be. And ultimately, my biggest problem is that the percentage of, of Bernie Sanders' primary supporters who voted for Donald Trump is about half the number of Hillary Clinton 2008 primary supporters who voted for John McCain. So, you know, it's, it's not to say that's not a factor, but, you know, Obama won despite, you know, twenty. I think it was 20, 25% of Clinton um, primary supporters voting for John McCain. And so, you know, maybe that's enough to put it over the edge, but there are other things that cause it to be even that close in the first place. You know, so for her to say that, that to place so much blame on Bernie and his supporters when her supporters did the same thing and, you know, twice as much in 2008, I just think it's, it comes off a little bit, a little bit tone deaf and, and, you know, not, maybe not as introspective as I would like her to be. But, you know, like I said, I'm fine with her having the book tour. I just, I disagree with some of the things she said and the the way she's kind of focused on Bernie. And, you know, even if she believes that's true, I don't, I don't see the point of, of pushing that so much when, you know, when he has this kind of momentum with the healthcare bill and things like that. It seems like she wants him to, he, she doesn't want the party to move in his direction. I think if she did, she wouldn't be attacking him this much. So that's kind of my biggest issue with it. Yeah, it seems like she's almost protecting her own legacy and protecting the legacy of the Democrats. And the reality is, is that, you know, politics often are um, probably behind the people who are representatives and our politician leaders are, are truly often behind what's really going on in the country. And I think the country's a lot more progressive than the makeup of our politics and the ability to vote. Um, and those who actually vote and end up electing these folks aren't clearly all of the American citizens. I mean, we probably had half of the eligible voters voting yeah. uh, or a little more than that. And that that leaves out a lot of voices. And so I, th- I think what Hillary Clinton's main problem is, and you know me, JJ, huge Hillary Clinton fan. I will d- defend her first and then I will probably get off my biased um warrior platform and say okay what how do i look at this objectively as from hillary clinton and um you know she's right to air her grievances but i think it's always about the tone in which you set forth and i think it's a big reason of of why she lost and so first of all uh in one book if you think about the psychology of a human being she's she's channeling what happened in 2016 but the reality is and, and you alluded to this a bit is that she's really putting out frustrations of the last 20 years of the attack of her character. This woman has had to deal with people attacking her for 20 years, maybe longer actually, when she had 
worked with her husband when he was president and putting out her health care bill. She was looked at as a nobody. She wasn't given any respect. She was like, everybody was like, why is the president's wife putting this out? And Republicans really went after her, Newt Gingrich and the like. They really didn't give her a good time. And, you know, ever since then, she's really been uh, the whipping horse for the Republican Party. And it's, you know, in politics, it's easy to have an enemy. And so I think the book is is a big airing of grievances, but attaching on recent uh, tangible things that people know in, uh, in order to tell the story of what happened. But I think, um, I know I've read part of the book, she does admit some fault and she says, oh, I was ahead of the campaign, so of course I take fault. But that's kind of like a cop-out excuse. That's not really owning it from a leadership standpoint. And even throughout the campaign, at least when she got to Donald Trump, it was sort of this assumption of, I'm the nomination. But when it got to her just and Trump, I don't think she ever took the leadership of the Democratic Party seriously or truly took it on her and said, I'm the champion for the party. And at the end of the day, as she comes out on this book tour, because we have Donald Trump as president, because we've become used to someone not taking personal accountability and always blaming someone else, it's like the timing of this kind of mirrors what Trump does. He's blaming everyone else and he's not taking leadership for his own faults. And I don't think she's doing it in a way that truly is a forceful owning of what she did. Because if she said something like, look, I was ahead of this campaign. I was the nominee. Here's exactly where I fell short. I didn't, you know, own the democratic party. I didn't go to these States. I didn't carry the, the message very well. My only message was that I'm not Donald Trump. Um, I could have done more. I should have done more. I didn't listen to people's pain loud enough. And she hints at that a little bit, but it's just not forceful ownership enough. And then creates an umbrella of, hey, I lost. That's what happened. But here are some contributing factors I think that came to that. And in the book tour, she's kind of only pointing to those things. Her message is more about the blame and less about the ownership of the blame and then taking on individual facets that could have helped her loss, like the Comey letter or, uh, you know, anything else out there, the, the, the racism or the misogyny. But at the same time, my feeling is also that she gets a bad rap. I think it's if if maybe a male came out and wrote this book that it, and it wasn't Hillary Clinton and maybe it was a female who wasn't Hillary Clinton, um, I think it might have been received by the public a little bit differently. I think she's getting a hard time because she puts herself out there and she kind of I don't I, I, she kind of just is a lightning rod for criticism no matter what. And I think she's probably owned that. I think when you get to that level, um, you own that and you, and you're going to get a lot of criticism. But at the end of the day when we have an active senator in Bernie Sanders who is really trying to push things forward with actual policy in the Medicare for all, and he's getting senators on board, and he, I think he knows that Donald Trump would never sign something, that Republicans aren't going to vote for something like that. But what it does is it starts putting it in a more policy discussion. I think Bernie admits himself, and others have said it, maybe you have said it as well, JJ, that he doesn't have all the numbers behind it. He doesn't have all the details. But it's more of like uh, a sign of things to come. And 
it's all about messaging, right? Getting the population ready to accept Medicare for all. And he's laying that groundwork. And he did that in the campaign. And I think he was a great messenger of that. So for Hillary to kind of come out now and kind of attack that and say things like, you know, single payer will never, ever, ever pass, um, it doesn't help the Democratic Party. And so I think she's right to receive some criticism. Uh, I think people, though, need to separate that she has a right to read a book, but we can also criticize her messaging. And, you know, um, maybe she deserves it. Maybe she's being real for once. Maybe she's being that petty human being and not that <laughs> robotic, you know, politician that she's always been. So kudos to her for that. And as a human being, maybe she's right to be petty and air her grievances because she never could before. She always had to be perfect. So I hope it's therapeutic for her. I don't think it's good timing. I think the angle of the book tour is not forceful enough on her own faults, but you know, it is what it is. And as a, as a party, I hope we don't let it divide us. And I think, I think we haven't, I, I think honestly, I'm uh, happier with the response than what I expected. I thought it was going to be worse. I thought it was going to be people really being angry at each other even more. But I think I think from my perspective, um, I think we are moving forward and we've got to, as a party, champion who are the real leaders. And I was telling JJ before this, you know, I just wish we'd all get past the 2016 election for the love of God. Mm-hmm. I'm just tired of it. Um, let's start working on solutions that help all people. And I don't care who you are. Um, Let's work on policy that does that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you brought up the, uh, her kind of saying that single payer will, ne- will never pass. Right now, it won't. Uh, and I think everyone knows that. But starting that conversation is something. That's oh, Trump just tweeted he'll, he'll veto it, by the way, like 10 minutes ago. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, it is, it's never going to pass. And, and I don't think Bernie thinks it will. But, you know, having that conversation, you know, that's one of the things Hillary also mentioned that. You know, she would come out for something, and then she said that Bernie would would come out for for something even further left, and that would you know hurt her. But the, I mean, part of that's true. But the fact is, you can find a video of him in 1985 saying the same thing he said yesterday. Like he's, you know, this is not to say that to make it seem like he's jumping on these things just in the 2016 election, just so he's further left than her. It's it's kind of disingenuous. He's been saying the same thing for so long, and. You know her her policies. I'm not. I don't have any issues or many issues with her, with her policies. Like for example, I think we talked about this before. She wanted, I believe, twelve dollar minimum wage, and Bernie wanted fifteen. I'd have no issue with with twelve. That's a, that's a big jump forward. I, I I I prefer fifteen, but twelve is fine. The issue is if you start with fifteen and then you compromise, you can get to twelve. If you start at twelve and you have to compromise, you're down at maybe ten. And I think that's something that, you know, obviously you can't go too off the rails and say, I want a $30 minimum wage because then no one just, no one takes you seriously and there's no discussion. But if you start a little bit higher, you give yourself that room to kind of, to compromise and still get what you want. But if you start, if you start in the middle, I think that's something Hillary, maybe she was forced to because so many people disliked her that she couldn't, you know, have these kind of radical ideas. She had to kind of play it safe and be in the middle. But the problem with that is if you start with 12 and then you get negotiated down, you know, you're you're not making as big of, of a jump as maybe you could have, and so maybe if she, you know, played didn't play it quite as safe, and that doesn't mean she has to go on board with everything Bernie said, but you know, just get a little bit further to the left and get people excited, and and you know, it's great that she's pragmatic and wants things that are going to pass, but the fact is that 
I mean, look at the things that, that the Republicans have, have, you know, run on and have promised for so long. They don't get any of it done. And that's, you know, obviously we shouldn't emulate that and we should want to pass legislation, but they promise the moon and people vote for them. You know, so the fact is maybe that's how we have to do it in this age of, you know, a reality star president and, you know, sound bites and, and just little blurbs on Twitter. People want, you know, kind of big messages and they don't necessarily care how how likely it is. Or maybe they, they understand that, you know, that compromise has to come, but they want us to push for something further. And so we're not always just kind of stuck in the middle making these small changes. They want, you know, a, a big push. And then if you have to, you move more towards the center and you compromise and that's something Hillary can compromise and that's something that maybe Bernie isn't great at you know you mentioned maybe you know the the money on the this the health care bill you know it's who knows if he has a way to actually pay for it and that's an issue and that that's something that has to be you know figured out but I still think pushing for it and starting that conversation is is a good first step and then from there you figure out the details and you compromise and maybe you end up with something like what Chris Murphy, Chris, yeah, Chris Murphy wants um, a public option, essentially, so that anyone can buy into um, Medicare. It's not a Medicare for all. That would be that maybe the end goal later on. But you know, so if you start further left, then there's there gives you more room to to still make progress. If you start in the center, you risk, you know, not getting anything done or making just these small little changes or or changes that benefit the Republicans. And so that's something that. You know, maybe I wish she had learned, and instead of talking about how how single payers are never going to pass, talk about you know how yeah, that's what you know that's what we need to go for, but we have to understand that it's not going to be easy. You know, something with a little bit more nuance, and not just saying yeah that'll never work. Yeah, policy is iterative. You know, we talked a little bit about that last time, and I think you know you got to sell the vision, and you've got to sell it early, and you've got to sell it consistently. And maybe that's what Bernie ran for president for. Maybe he thought he'd never win. And I don't think I, anyone ever thought he'd get as far as he did or as popular to the numbers that he did. Yep. But he did. And he had a platform and he used it. And that's what he's kind of saying in his book in Our Revolution. Uh, and that's kind of how I read Bernie is that as a politician, he'll work on policy and he'll help pass that. But maybe Bernie sees his role at 74 years old towards you know maybe the end of his life you know he's got 15 20 years left hopefully mm-hmm. um you know he's gonna die one day so what's his mark on the world and if he's always been this activist and he's always been there and now he has this platform why shouldn't he take advantage of it and now the the key is to build coalitions and get policy wonks in on his team so he's no longer this revolutionary guy He's not Che Guevara or any of these folks. He's revolution with policy behind him. And so you sell to the aspirational progressives or even the, the centrists in this country the idea that healthcare is a right. And if you say it over and over again, but you can back it up with policy, that's where Democrats will just start taking over and winning elections. And so we don't need to start dividing the super progressives because we need to champion their spirit and honor their their ability to see a huge vision and not be afraid to get out there and say why not this why not medicare for all why not a higher minimum wage why not and then we have our centrist or our, our policy people who are always trying to say oh you're not living in reality instead of attacking that 
we should honor it and accept it. And then the, the, the people who are super progressive, who are the visionaries go, I'm going to need a policy person to help me execute this. The greatest companies in the world, and I happen to work for one, uh, fortunately, have a visionary, basically a person who has big ideas and is not very good at organization or making things happen, but they have, you know, they have really good ideas. And then you need an executor who can actually get it done. And those companies thrive because, you know, they're not hurting for ideas. They're not saying, how do we think different? We have to think different in order to carry through a revolution. And that's going to require the the Democrats who are policy wonks and realists, quote unquote, and the, and the Hillary Clintons and the Bernies. So let's let's stop with attacking the progressives on the center or the Bernie bros or whatever. We we just need to all kumbaya hug each other and say we can get this done together because that's really what it is. And so that stronger together message clearly just did not come through. It was a great hashtag and a great two words put together, but I don't think she practiced what she preached. And, you know, I hope she uses her platform to bring that kind of message to the progressive wing who might feel like the Schumers and the Pelosi's are on their side. But man, have you, I mean, just look at what Schumer and Pelosi are doing from a political standpoint, how they're tempering Trump a little bit, how they've done very good political moves. You put a Bernie Sanders and a Pelosi or a, a Schumer together, truly, or a Hill, you know, a, a Gillibrand or uh, or Klobuchar or Murphy, we got some powerful people who can get things done. And if we're sitting here as centrists trying to say, "Get out of here, Bernie," then who's our visionary? We're missing it. And you're right; it's why people voted for Trump because they believed his vision. Now. This guy can't assemble a team of people who can actually execute it worth a damn. But, and that's his problem, is that he's got a vision that people bought off on and he'll hardly ever deliver uh, any of it sustainably. Um, but man, that, that's what it's about. So I hope, I hope Hillary Clinton embraces it. I honestly think Bernie's dealing with it pretty well. I hope he focuses on his vision of Medicare for All and he keeps championing healthcare as a right. And that's how we're going to keep moving forward. Yeah, and I think... You know, you, you've mentioned how, you know, Bernie is the revolutionary and, and the visionary. Seeing him, you know, on stage during his, his announcement of the, the Medicare for All bill with, you know, people like Gillibrand and, uh, you know, Booker and, um, you know, uh, Maisie Hirono from from Hawaii and other people, seeing them, them kind of come together. I think, you know, I'm still kind of mixed on whether he's going to run. I think he probably wants to, but he's so old and... You know, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just don't know. But you know, him, him, kind of paving the way and saying that this is something we can push for. This is not just a pipe dream. You know, it's not going to happen now. It might not happen in the next few years. But this is something we can consider. And then it, it allowed people. I, I tweeted during while I was watching the, the press conference that I think the next president of the U.S. was on that stage. Whether it's going to be Bernie, whether it's Gillibrand, whether it's Kamala Harris, whether it's Cory Booker. You know, I think those are all people who have a good chance of running. And, you know, seeing them jump on at least, you know, there's there's still things I have, I have problems with them on. And I think, you know, maybe concerns about, you know, the the donors they have and things like that. But them jumping on this big temple issue, I think, you know, it made it easier for them to to move left. You know, they 
you know, if you want to be cynical and say that the reason they're more towards the center is because of donors or whatever, I don't, I don't know that that's true. At least not for all of them. But this, this was a way to, you know, they can, they can jump on this, this legislation, and they're not the first one to do it. They don't look like a crazy person. You know, they're, they have, you know, especially people in in more swing districts, swing states, you know, to to have this this kind of slightly bigger coalition and make this, you know, real thing. They didn't have to be the first one to do it. They didn't have to risk, you know, uh, you know, being seen as crazy or too far left. And now it's becoming more and more mainstream. And, you know, whoever is a nominee in 2020 is probably going to run on on single payer. Um, you know, they might not be as far left as Bernie on, on other things, but he's at least got this one thing. And I, th- I believe the $15, $15 minimum wage, I think, is officially part of the Democratic platform now. I think I heard that. I, I'm not totally sure. But... You know, so these these things that he's championed are are becoming mainstream, and it doesn't mean he's always said that you know it's not about him, it's the movement, right? So, you know, he, it doesn't mean he's going to run. It doesn't mean he has to run. There's certainly some of his supporters who seem like they're kind of attached to him more than they are the actual idea, and that's kind of an issue. But you know, I think he's really opened up a path for for these kind of things to at least be considered. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to pass. Um, but you know, we don't have to, to hang out in the middle. We can have these ideas and really push for real change. And, you know, like I said, it doesn't have to be him. It can be someone else who's, you know, who's kind of accepting these progressive ideas because he was the kind of the trailblazer. He allowed them to do it. And now it's a little bit more safer. They know that there's a big movement that supports Bernie. Um, and so, you know, I think even if he never ends up president, even if, you know, he never goes any further than, than where he is now. I think he's already made a big change. And, you know, you don't have to, maybe you don't agree with him. Maybe Hillary Clinton doesn't agree with him. But I think attacking him is just kind of silly because he's clearly doing something that he believes in and he's fighting for something. Um, and, you know, I think that's all we can ask of him. Absolutely. And I think he's made a great blueprint for whomever runs in 2020. And I think we can put together a, a nice lineup of folks who during the primaries, absolutely champion those messages even together um, with just differences of how they might go about it because they have to differentiate themselves in the primaries. But once it gets to the general, that unity has got to come through and they've got to have that message and that blueprint and that visionary type message that Bernie offered up easily, replicatable, and then pair them with with a vice president that that can be that executioner, that policymaker who can help in that. And then, um, you know, support senators who will put that through and take it back, take it back in 2020 and 2018 and, uh, just come together. And I think it's possible. It's there. Uh, the most progress Trump has made in his presidency has been working with Democrats and it's only on two things and the country has appreciated it. I mean, you see so many Trump supporters going, Oh, that's a good thing. And it is a good thing. We need to work together. And so um, that's what the Democrats need to do, too. And I think that's what the country wants. And I think the country will, will reward them as they become one left. And so with that, JJ, we're coming up on about 30 minutes for this podcast. I wanted to add another element to our podcast each time. and wanted to just say, uh, you know, what is one Twitter account you think people should follow, JJ? Ooh, put me on the spot. Do you have one first? Let me think about it. <laughs> I'm going to have to say either Adam Kahn, the connoisseur, or Seth Abramson. 
Um, so Seth Abramson is a lawyer. He's a professor out of the University of New Hampshire. Uh, used to be a criminal investigator. He really knows um, a lot about the details around the Mueller investigation as far as from a legal uh, standpoint. And then Adam Kahn is... Um, you know, a guy that has worked at a lot of tech companies. He's a Muslim and uh, just really plugged in onto a lot of different policy issues from a visionary standpoint. Uh, so he's an immigrant Muslim and uh, just a, a great breath, breath of fresh air. So what about you? Have you been able to come up with one? Yeah, there's a guy named Igor Volsky. Um, he has a podcast as well through the Center for American Progress. Um I've followed him for a while. He's he's big on um, you know kind of gun laws and gun control, and he's really pushed for that. But he's also you know just just a generally pretty smart guy, pretty progressive guy. Um, so I like him, and I like his his podcast. It's called Thinking Cap. Um, so that's what I'd say. It's just Igor I G O R Volsky V O L S K Y. All right. Well, cool. And don't forget to follow myself and JJ on the Twitter. Um, and mine's tweets by a Rob and tell them what yours is JJ. Uh, it's KJ underscore Jeller J E L L E R. So essentially just my name, but reversed a little bit. All right. Well, cool. We hope to see you guys around Twitter. Keep looking for us to improve and kind of add different elements to make it a little more interactive and also future guests. So next week, uh, we're going to continue the one left mantra and kind of talk about, uh, a little more details on policy type things. We'll attack the dreamers. We'll talk a little more about healthcare and other issues as we continue our journey into One Left. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys later.